to know what the identity is along the journey, even when it's unsure. Because there, it, most of us feel unsure most days of our lives, and it's providing those tools for the uncertain moments. Welcome to another podcast, Prisma Center for Jewish Day Schools. My name is Elliot Rabin, and I, I am Prisma's Director of Thought Leadership. This podcast is part of a series called Research Encounter, featuring a conversation between researchers and day school leaders about a recent work of scholarship. Today's podcast looks at the ways that teenage girls negotiate the web of social pressures, communal and familial expectations, and personal desires as they enter high school. Our guests are Cheryl Weiner and Joni Fishman. Cheryl is a PhD student at Lesley University whose research focuses on how Jewish adolescent girls who identify as activists navigate their intersectional identities. She works with a program at Lesley called The Girlhood Projects, an anti-racist feminist program that brings adolescent girls and college students together to examine their identities and create new understandings about what it means to be a girl in today's society. Joni is the middle school dean of students at the Rashi School, a K-8 reform day school in Dedham, Massachusetts. She is a proud educator for over 40 years. Her duties at Rashi include advising the middle school student government, teaching wellness classes, high school placement counselor, and overseeing student social and emotional learning. Our starting point is Cheryl's recent article, From Day School to High School, an Exploratory Study on Jewish Adolescent Girls' Identity Development, appearing in last July's issue of the Journal of Jewish Education. Welcome, Joni and Cheryl. First of all, Cheryl, why don't you tell us something about the study? Thanks, Elliot. Uh, I will start off by saying that um, with a sample size of three, this very much was an exploratory study where I sought to open up the research on Jewish adolescent girls who are overall a very under-researched population. And um, what I ultimately hoped to do was to ask questions about who are Jewish adolescent girls, uh, what are questions that can be asked, and uh, what do we want to know about them and their experiences. So through my conversations with day school girls, what I had noticed is that when many girls anticipate graduation time, there's a period of uncertainty because the day school is a socializing context for them um, and leaving the nest, um, as it were, is, um, is a transformative period for them overall. So what I ultimately wanted to do was understand for them how they were making meaning of that experience. These questions and, and this look at these important areas has been around for years. There have been women and girls who have been asking these questions for decades. And yet the research is not there to support the actual data that says 
what are Jewish girls experiencing? What do they need to move forward? And so by looking at Cheryl's study, I was beyond excited because the work that I've done is really, um, in a sense, in the trenches with these girls over the years. And these questions keep coming up and they keep looking for places to have brave spaces, to have discourse and to be able to have tools to navigate a complex world. Right, and I just wanna add that a very important part of the methodology was to center the girls' experiences and to hear from them what their meaning-making experience was about. Joni, I'd love to hear more from you about how you work with girls, young women, as they become young women along this journey. Because being a researcher and being a teacher could be in a way seen as, as kind of similar, being, like you say, being, it's a matter largely of being yeah. good, good listeners. How, how do you help to draw out girls, to draw out their voice, uh, to help them understand themselves in their development as young women and as uh, Jews? I feel very blessed to be able to be at a school, um, the Rashi School, which is really always honored, um, trying to get at the source of communication and, and really identifying how we speak to each other. And by learning how we speak to each other, it's really, in a sense, how do we listen? I was that young girl who people said, shh. Shah, we don't need to talk about it, right? You'll you'll be a nice girl, you'll you'll you know, you'll get good grades, you'll marry a nice Jewish boy. And I thought it was interesting that that came out in, in Cheryl's study. But I was that that young girl that I didn't want to be silent and I didn't want to do it the way that people were telling me. And so by thinking about my own journey, I began to try to educate myself as to give myself the tools. What, what was it that was frustrating me? Um, what was it that I didn't feel was available to me? Um, and so through Rosh Hodesh and um, again, my own courses in various ways, um, which we didn't know was called SEL back then, um, but in many ways was, to begin then looking at my students and really when I say looking, because I've talked to you about being able to raise questions, to be able to listen, but before we can even do any of that, we need to be able to observe. We need to be able to see what our students, what our children, what ourselves are going through. And oftentimes we don't wanna see, right? So by um, creating then brave spaces, so that people can have opportunities to speak. I created lunch groups so that it wasn't taking away. So I wanna fast forward from creating lunch groups where it felt brave for, for young women to start to be able to say, hey, my mother's trying hard, but maybe it's not going so well at home. How, like, I don't know what to say. So suddenly there were these brave spaces to fast forward to be at Rashi where now where we have wellness classes so that we don't have to apologize for needing a place to raise questions, 
to be able to speak. So I must say that in every aspect of my work, it's always brought out in terms of how do I make students self-aware to be able to be um, able to be self-aware, self-reflective, be able to make decisions, effective decisions, and most importantly, to be healthy and well. And what does that mean? To feel centered, to know what the identity is along the journey, even when it's unsure, because there is, most of us feel unsure most days of our lives. And it's providing those tools for the uncertain moments that is equally as important to just say, well, on Tuesday, when you turn 16, you'll feel this and this is what you should do. It's no, when you make this transition to high school and you're suddenly a baby again, leaving all these teachers that you've built connections and relationships and peers that you've known since kindergarten, it's gonna feel unsure. So now what do you do when you're not sure? That's what I do. Cheryl, talk about what you saw in these three uh, remarkable young women that you spoke to. How did you find that they, through their experiences and reflections, um, started to clarify and come to understand better their own identity. This process required them to reconfigure and reassess their identities in so many ways because the sense of who they were while they were students at their day school no longer was, right? I mean, they all made very conscientious and informed decisions to go to the schools that they went to. They all came from very different social contexts. If you could just uh, tell the, the audience uh, what, what that transition was, what schools they, they came from and went to. Okay, so um, they all came from um, a day school um, that was called uh, the Shalom School. From there, that there were three girls in the study. Their names were uh, Sarah, Shana, and Julia. And um, so, and, and just to and, clarify, those those weren't their names, and that wasn't the real name of the school. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> so I signed them all pseudonyms, and um, wh and what I say in the study is that they came from a community oriented day school. It's a pluralist day school in North America. And um, two of the girls uh, who are Sarah and Shana live in similar communities. They're upper middle-class communities that are fairly populated by Jewish individuals and um, other diverse families as well. Um, and both of their communities are known for, their, for having very good uh, public school systems. Um, and both the, the, both girls, uh, and I will say that all three girls are white. Um, all three girls fall into middle-class status, uh, though Julia, the third girl, is lower middle-class. Um, their family configurations are all a bit different. Sarah and Shana's parents are, are married. They live with the parents who they were born to. And um, Julia's parents are recently divorced. 
and Julia started attending the Shalom School when it, she was partway through fourth grade. She left her public school community because she was subject to anti-Semitism. She was one of few students in her, one, one of few Jewish students in her public school community. And um, the, she said the anti-Semitism was so bad, kids would call her names and tease her relentlessly that she refused to go to school. And um, she and her parents partway through the year found the Shalom School. And that was where she wound up going. And once she transferred there, her school experience changed and um, she was happy as could be there. Um, and religiously, uh, Shana's parents are modern Orthodox. Um, Sarah's parents identify as conservative. And for Julia, um, one parent is not Jewish and the other parent, um, does not affiliate with a particular um, form of Judaism. So I, I think largely speaking, they, they were seeing various aspects of who they are because they were in a new social yeah. cultural context. And that was it. Like they had to think about like, how am I going to express my Judaism? Like, what does that mean to me? Um, you know, do I wear Jewish symbols for example? Um, who are the people who I want to make friends with? Um, how do I share my Judaism? Like that was very um, interesting to me, for example, in the case with Sarah, where for her, when, when it came to think about a, a friend group, she was instantly attracted to other people with Jewish symbols. And you know, she related that when she said, you know, I feel more comfortable when I'm around other Jewish people. Like, I just think there's something about being with other Jews. Like, that's what I've always known. I, I don't know if you said this before, but just to clarify that Sarah and Shana both chose to go to yes. public schools, right? Right. Which so, okay, was, I can back up. Which was, which was kind of surprising, right? Because, you know, they were more kind of in, in the Jewish world, you would have expected it, they would have wanted to continue. It is and it isn't. Okay, so when it came to deciding high school, no, the girls were very intentional about that too. Like it was, they, they, they all made very informed decisions. And I think it's also important to address privilege here, right? Like they, they all had the option and they were aware of that though, uh, that you know, there was a cost associated with it. And at one point Shana said, I didn't want my parents to spend all that money with college coming up. And the way that the two girls who opted not to go to Tikva Academy, the the um, there was a Jew, they were lucky to have a Jewish high school close enough to them that it would have been possible for them to attend. Um, but they sort of viewed it as I want to have the experience of not being in a Jewish community now while I'm at home, and I want to see what it's like. Especially being at a Jewish day school from K through eight, um, it's what they know right? They don't have to question so much, right? They're questioning dress code or this or that, but I'm a Jew because everybody's a Jew. And then suddenly they go to this other, and then it becomes very real. And I come back to the, you know, of, of how we started this raising of questions, this feeling of uncertainty, this, this curve in the road. So there was one year where I had five students who I knew in my heart should be a Jewish um, high school. 
And yet, you know, being the, the effective dean of students that I am, I listened, I guided, I supported, and most importantly, I supported their journey with their families. Mm-hmm. But fast forward, one, one was that year, five students, one contacted me in November, two in December. By, the, by January, when that deadline was getting really close, I had five students, straight A students. They were not running from academic, right, distressed. It wasn't like they couldn't handle being in a big public secular school. Academically, they were great. They had friends. One was even already in student government. But what started to be the trend was I didn't know what was important until it wasn't part of my daily life. When suddenly I had to explain why I I needed off for that second day of Rosh Hashanah, of of why I have to, you know, I'm gonna eat, you know, matzah for seven days. You know, we thought it was only one day because that's what the TV shows, right? All of these pieces and do I wear a star? Do I not wear a star? I'm suddenly feeling ostracized, marginalized. And I loved your word in the study in which you talked about being interrogated. Mm-hmm. This, this suddenly being having to defend who I am. And for some, great. For others, it was like that realization that that was not the journey that they wanted. Right, right. And I think you're raising a really important, well, two important points when it comes to both listening to girls And to providing girls with the opportunity to exercise voice. And very oftentimes, girls don't have the space to do that. And though as educators, we tend to think, oh, yeah, you know, that they they have they have room to do that. That's often not the case. Um, And, you know, one example was even with Sarah in the study. Um, who said, oh yeah, you know, people thought I was going to go to Tikva, like all the time people were saying, oh yeah, you're definitely going to go there. But her inner voice was telling her, you know, I think I'm going to try something new. I want to see if I can push myself to put myself in this big public school and to really put myself out there. Um, But when people are questioning her own judgment and her own inner voice, that's really challenging. Uh, And she had to fight against that. Uh, and and w- I respect you for doing what you do, Joni, because girls need reinforcement. They need encouragement and, and they need people to validate what they're saying and to really listen. We, we also need to make sure that we're supporting girls who are leaving day schools. And I'm a huge proponent for day school. I'm a parent of two day school kids. I just want to put that out there. But to exercise voice outside of day school so that as young Jewish women, they can be proud of their Jewishness and know how to carry it and know how to represent their Jewish identity in a way that they're proud of, that, um, you know, they feel that they can be seen as young, capable Jewish women that you know can all can also be folded into other identities that they hold, and I think that that is an important challenge for all of us who work as Jewish educators. So that's a that's a fascinating point because I think there's been a lot of discussion and time devoted to this topic for the transition from high school to college, but right. I I don't know. 
that there's been nearly as much conversation around this in the transition from eighth grade to high school. We talked about Sarah and Shana, who were the two who two uh, girls you spoke to who were more centered and then were kind of eager to to escape the bubble a little bit. Uh, but Julia is is kind of in the opposite journey, right? She uh, is not nearly as centered in her Jewish identity, and she's looking for a little bit of a cocoon, especially after the hard experiences she had in public school. So talk about her journey once she gets to uh, Tikva. Um, I want to say that Julia in particular is a really compelling case because she challenges a lot of the research that, and it's very limited, that is out there on Jewish adolescent girls because so much of it just centers on the experiences of white middle-class girls. Speaking to her, learning from her experiences is a really important reminder of the need to listen to and speak with the experiences of Jewish girls who fall outside that population. Um, so Julia's experience, I think she's very centered in terms of knowing herself and knowing what she needs. And I think that she is looking for a sense of community and trying to figure out where she belongs. And I think the reality of her experience is probably similar to that of many Jewish girls today, of um, having experienced outsiderness because of her Jewishness and maybe having, maybe trying to find her sense of place in a Jewish community. And you know, in the end, she, yeah, she decided to leave Tikva Academy. She's going to go back to her public school. Um, and I, I also want to add that she was sort of a bit ahead of her time um, with many of the issues that she was thinking about and wrestling with, I think have come to the fore for many adolescent Jewish adolescent girls and teens overall today we're all trying to be much more aware, right? To the bias, to the systemic injustices. But some of my, my girls are coming to me and saying that they feel even more marginalized and almost having to go back into being silent. And I do think, um, Cheryl, your, your study sort of touched on this in that because of their whiteness, um, that they don't, that they shouldn't be able to speak up about what they're feeling about bias and oh that anti-Semitism, right? It's not such a big deal, right? You don't, right? It's not such a big deal, right? You know, we all tell Jew jokes, and she and one of my students said that to me. And she said, "I heard that, and like, I, like I, I knew that in that moment I, I had to be silent, and I didn't want to be silent, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that we're almost entering this." you know, the, the battle of the riches in some ways that they feel like that there's this competition and that they, 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 they've already lost. So now they have to go backwards and be silent. And yet here 
we still have right these Jewish young people, these young girls are saying, but I'm not at peace yet. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mm-hmm. feel good that I'm seeing a swastika in the girls' bathroom. And I don't know what to do with that. And so I think even more so right now, again, this this business of right of who feels marginalized and who feels enabled. Right. I think that's such an important question. And going back to the point that that Jody that Joni's mentioned earlier about um, you know squeezing in the time in day schools. I, I mean I know that I too am a huge moving traditions Rosh Chodesh. It's a girl thing fan. Um, I worked for them for a number of years, and we also competed with the same issues. Where you know where is there room for this in the curriculum? How can we make it work? And it's a huge challenge. Uh, of you know, where is there space for this? Um, but but I know from from my years of working in different school environments, um, girls really appreciate being heard, and gender appears everywhere yes. in school environments. I mean, while these spaces are important, it pops up in PE classes. It pop it pops up uh, during recess in the lunchroom. And I mean, I imagine that we both have stories to tell of, you know, of uh, incidents that we've experienced or, um, you know, through our various years of working with girls. Right, breaking down the adult bias of if we don't have all the answers, right, then we don't talk about it, right? And, and that's what a lot of kids say to me, right? I, I often start many conversations with, sorry, this is not a magic wand, but I'll listen and maybe together we can figure it out, right? And, and most of them will say, you know what, that's really what I needed. Um, you know, or a, a brave space to be able to say, I wanna bounce something off before I make a mistake. But I think many educators are frightened that they don't have the, the, the exact language. Uh, they're gonna make their own mistakes, right? And everyone is so worried about stepping on each other's toes that again, we're saying, go back in the closet, don't talk about it. What advice would you have that have to give to Jewish educators and Jewish administrators about how to work with, empower, listen to these wonderful girls that are that are in our schools and and help them on their journey as you call it even in my own advisory program that we started you know at rashi even now we've had to make it 15 minutes but in that 15 minutes we we live by this model right this, this mantra the jewish principle that all israel is responsible for one another it means that each of us must take action and inspire others to create a community in which we can all take pride. Those are the values, right? The communal responsibility. So if we look at it as our communal responsibility, then it's, it's, it doesn't become this add-on. It becomes a mandate. And when we model that we can speak together, we can learn together, we can communicate. And most importantly, we can listen. We don't yeah. always have to agree, but we can listen. That is how we can put it in the day-to-day life of a Jewish day school. One thing that I, I'm not sure if I got across was I, I think with Julia's issue, like not her issue, but but rather 
what she shared. She was talking about issues that are not commonly explored in the Jewish community. She was talking about class. She was talking about, you know, reconciling her whiteness and really wrestling with that. And I think saying to a kid, you know what, I hear you. Like, I hear that you are talking about, like, negotiating the fact that you are lower middle class. And that is really tough in a school where, you know, the experience is that a lot of kids are upper middle class. So I, I think really validating that or, and, and addressing those issues, um, you know, and, and educators, as educators, really thinking about what kids are bringing to us and processing that and, uh, and think about what we wanna do with that information, right? We're, like being as current as we can with the challenges and questions yeah. and the reality that, that girls and, and, and teens alike are, are wrestling with today as, as they're figuring out their identities. Like Joni and I were talking about pronouns yeah. the other day, right? Like, I, I mean, this is the world that kids are living in. And I will just share with you that I know that one of the schools who I worked with, when it came to Rosh Chodesh, were even wondering, do we make all girls go? Um, you know, what if there were kids who are questioning their gender? Like, how do, and these are questions, you know, day schools or any Jewish institution, you know, really does need to be thinking about, or what about with a PE teacher who's saying boys over here, girls over here, you know, and this is why I say like a gender informed perspective, uh, Joni and I were talking about bathrooms, like, you know, th this is why we, we really need to be having these conversations you know, conversations about race, conversations about gender, because the Jewish community is not impervious to them. Our kids are thinking about them and we need to be thinking about them too. Thank you, Cheryl and Joni, for a probing discussion on the development of young Jewish women. If you like what you heard, please give the podcast five stars and share it with your friends and on social media. You can follow our podcasts by searching for Prisma on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. To learn more about Prisma, go to our website at www.prisma.org and follow us at PrismaCJDS. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we'll come back again soon for future episodes.